Well, good morning. My name is James. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. If we haven't met, nice to meet you. Thank you for joining us. Everyone online, thank you for linking in with us as well. Well, when my brother and I were at uni, uh, there was a TV show that we absolutely adored. We loved. We loved it so much that uh, we got our grandma into it as well. Monday nights, 8.30 p.m., SBS. The show was called Man vs. Wild. Has anyone seen that? Yes, awesome. Uh, the show, it followed an ex-marine called Bear Grylls. I think we've got a photo of his beautiful face up there, yes. And he would show us uh, what to do if we were ever lost in the wild. Now, there were many things I'm sure my grandma would have learned from Bear Grylls, such as how to climb a tree or... Um, how to eat a snake, how to wrap your urine-soaked T-shirt around your head so that you don't, you don't die in the desert, and how to squeeze out, this is my favorite, how to squeeze out drinking liquid from elephant dung. Now, if no one's tried that, give that a crack. What we did learn from Bear Grylls was if you're ever lost in the wild or if you're in a dire situation, you need to stop, S-T-O-P, and it's an acronym, right? S stands for stop. Stop moving and control your breathing. Because short breaths will create more anxiety. Next, T, you need to think. Ask yourself basic questions. Where was I going? Which direction was I going? What was the land, last landmark I recognized? How long ago was that? Next, you need to observe. O for observe. Look around you. Get your camera out. Go through your photos to see any uh, familiar landmarks. And lastly, you need to plan. Don't move until you have a plan. Why? Because when we're lost, there are three things that will kill us in the wild. Lack of food, lack of water, and hypothermia, and um, all the wild animals as well. A person can survive without food uh, for about 30 days and without water for about three to five days. A person can be lost in the busyness and cycle of doing life and getting things their entire life. They can be lost their entire life doing that. You know, maybe for you, you've, you've felt lost chasing after the things of this world, like materialism or fame or fortune or position at work or relationship. Maybe you felt lost chasing after money. You know, I know a lot of us have that tension we have to live with. How do I love God, but how do I also honor God with getting a job and making money? Money is important, but to what extent? Is it worth losing my soul over? Is it worth forsaking everything else to chase? Listen to these quotes by some of the wealthiest people of their day and think about whether they're lost in the pursuit of money or not. The care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. W.H. Vanderbilt. I have made mil many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. John D. Rockefeller. I was happier when doing a mechanic's job. Henry Ford. A reporter once asked the ultra-wealthy oil magnate, John Paul Getty, if it was true his estate at that time was worth a billion dollars. Getty remained silent for a minute, and he responded, I suppose so, but remember, a billion dollars doesn't go as far as it used to. You know, in today's passage, we read the story of Zacchaeus being lost. Not physically lost, but lost in his relation to God and in life. Like many of us going through the struggles of life, he was lost. He was completely and utterly lost. 
But God in his mercy, he melts Zacchaeus' heart and softens it. And we see a life that's been changed. You know, even though the little subtitle says Zacchaeus the tax collector, it actually isn't about him at all in this passage. He's just a byproduct of meeting and encountering the grace and mercy of Jesus. This passage, like all of Luke, it's about Jesus. And as we shift our focus and gaze off Zacchaeus, my prayer is that we'll see Jesus even clearer today. So let's turn our Bibles to Luke 19, 1-10. We're right in the middle of a sermon series called um, There's Something About Jesus. And what we've learned so far, the main message that we've learned is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. If you don't remember anything from today or the whole sermon series in the last couple of weeks, just remember that. The gospel of Luke is to show us that Jesus came to save, seek and save the lost. Quick question, who wrote the gospel of Luke? Peter, I mean, yeah, amen. It was actually Luke. So let's read uh, Luke 19, 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, he and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The first thing we grasp from this passage is that Jesus came to seek us. Luke tells us that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, passing through Jericho. Verse 2 says, A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was, too, because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. What do we know about Zacchaeus? Two things at this stage. He was a chief tax collector and he was short. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was not only a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. If we read throughout the Gospels, tax collectors were were hated men. Not only because they didn't like to pay taxes, but because the tax collector made whatever profit he he had um, with whatever he could get away with. And the Romans sold this job to the highest bidder. And whoever got that job They weren't appointed a salary at all. He simply collected as much money as he could for himself. The scholar Morris says the title of chief tax collector is not found anywhere else, so its precise significance is not known. But it seems to point to the head of the local taxation department. What the writer Luke is trying to show us is that Zacchaeus was a despised and hated man. He had become wealthy through taking advantage of his own people. Zacchaeus most likely lived in a mansion, ate the most expensive food, and drove the latest camel. 
probably. Zacchaeus was rich and had everything, yet he had nothing. He was empty, tired, unsatisfied. He was looking for life. He was spiritually thirsty. He was, by the world standard, the last person who could ever be right with God. Now, isn't that interesting how we can have everything in the world yet have absolutely nothing? Jesus says in Matthew 16, 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? We also learn that Zacchaeus was short. Now, this might not seem important in the scheme of things, but if I were to ask you, was John the Baptist skinny or large? Was Jesus, did Jesus have long feet or short feet? You probably wouldn't be able to answer Of the many things we read about in the New Testament, we learn virtually nothing about uh, people's physical traits unless they have a disability. As you read in verse 3, Luke emphasizes that. Luke emphasizes Zacchaeus' physical trait. Now we have to question why does Luke emphasize that? Or what does Luke want us to see? Verse 3, 4. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, He could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Zacchaeus' stature was the reason he couldn't see Jesus. Could it be that Luke is showing us that Zacchaeus' physical stature was a reflection of his real problem, his lack of sight? Could it be that his physical stature was just a reflection of what was actually going on inside of his heart? that he couldn't see because he was morally short. You know, whether we're morally short or have completely messed up our lives, no one is beyond saving. We are never too far from God's love and grace. Because what we see in these these opening verses is that Jesus took the first step towards Zacchaeus. It wasn't an accident that Jesus was passing through Jericho. It was intentional. There's nothing in the Bible there that is there by accident. This encounter with Zacchaeus was planned out from the very beginning of creation. Just like Jesus came to seek out Zacchaeus, he has come to seek us out as well. He has come to find us, to draw us to himself and to walk with him. Jesus came to save us because he loves us. He wants a relationship with us. But many of us are too... Too busy, we're too busy hiding up a tree. Jesus has come to seek us out, and our response needs to be the same as that of Zacchaeus. We need to get out of the tree and invite him in. So if you're here feeling like you're a Zacchaeus, feeling like you don't belong here, feeling empty and tired, feeling like you'll never be enough, then you're in the right place. Because Jesus came to seek you out. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53.6, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own ways. Ecclesiastes 7.20, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. The second point is this. Jesus has come to forgive us. Verse 5, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and and welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus knew he was a sinner. Maybe he knew deep down that he finally met someone who could forgive his sinfulness, 
and help him deal with the brokenness deep inside of him. Like Zacchaeus, you also need to realize that our sins need to be brought out of the darkness and into the light. And there is only one who can forgive our sin and help us through our brokenness, and that is Jesus. Paul reminds us in Romans that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The forgiveness that Jesus extends to us is personal. It's not a general forgiveness of some things, but it's a deep personal forgiveness of sins. Sometimes we forget that God is deeply personal, that yes, he is the creator of the universe, and he knows all things, but he also cares about the details of our lives. Notice that Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. Our names have meaning. Our names show others who we are, our identity. They carry deep personal, cultural, and historic connections. They give us a sense of who we are and where we belong. And you have to realize that this may have been the first time Zacchaeus heard someone beside his mom call his name in a kind way. The Jesus who was there from Genesis 1, who breathed out the stars and names them one by one, the same Jesus who knows how many hairs are in our head. The same Jesus calls out, Zacchaeus, I know you. You are who I was looking for. Jesus is personal. He knows our deepest needs. He knows our brokenness. He knows our struggles. And he'll always call us by name. John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus meets Zacchaeus in one of his deepest needs. He goes beyond just wanting to preach to Zacchaeus. But he wants to have a real relationship with him, starting with a meal and time together. Imagine the deep longing for community and communion that Zacchaeus would have had. I think many times we can forget just how powerful a simple meal is. That it's not just food, but something happens when we gather over a table. And when we eat together, walls come down, hearts soften. And we're reminded that community is important. And I have no doubt that many lives in our church have been changed over just a dinner table. Jesus spoke personally to Zacchaeus. He called him by name. And we see his response in verse 6. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. When Jesus calls us by name, that has to be our response. To welcome him gladly, to accept him with arms wide open. Because his forgiveness to you and to me, it's personal. And there's not a person in the world who doesn't need the forgiveness of God. There's a story of a beautiful, uh, bright young woman who was a mother to two young children, a wife to a husband. This woman was diagnosed with cancer, and less than a year later she passed away. But she didn't have to die. They had caught the cancer in time, and with proper treatment she could have been cured. But two months prior, before she was diagnosed, she discovered that she was pregnant with her third child. And in order for the child to live, she had to refuse the chemotherapy and radiation treatment. She struggled over the next seven months and finally gave birth to a baby. Not long afterwards, she went to be with the Lord. She died so that the child could live. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He died so that we might live. He not only came to find us, 
to forgive us and to set us free. And there isn't a person who doesn't need the forgiving love and mercy of Jesus. Just as Zacchaeus' life of sin was forgiven, Jesus offers the same forgiveness to us. Thirdly, Jesus has come to set us free. In verse 8, Zacchaeus makes this amazing statement. He says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. What happened to Zacchaeus? Why, after spending some time with Jesus, was the chief tax collector saying he'll pay back four times the amount, which was not required by um, any law of certain. It wasn't required by any Old Testament law. Verse 10 shows us why. Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Zacchaeus was lost, but now he was found. He had been drowning in his sin, but now he had been saved. He had been set free from the power of sin. John 8.34, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In 1944, when the, when the tides of World War II began to change, a Japanese soldier fled to live in a cave uh, on the island of Guam. Fearing for his life, this man stayed hidden for 28 years in the jungle cave, coming out only at night to eat and to, to forage for food. During this time, he lived on frogs, Rats, snails, shrimps, nuts, and mangoes. Uh, the, soldier, the soldier said he knew that the war was over because of leaflets that were scattered around uh, the jungles of Guam. But he was afraid to come out of hiding because he thought he would be executed. He was found by two hunters who had told him that he didn't need to hide any longer. He was free. Just as this soldier was trapped in the fear of losing his life, Zacchaeus was trapped in the pursuit of wealth. He was trapped in the desire to have more things, to make more money, to get the latest clothes. It controlled his life that it caused him to hurt others and himself. But when he's found by Jesus, he knows he's been forgiven. He's able to finally be free from the power of money in his life. Now, did every little habit in Zacchaeus' life change immediately? Probably not. But the heart changed, and the evidence of a life change was immediate. Jesus came to set us free from the power of sin. He took away our sin and saved us, and in doing so, he sets us free from the penalty of, and power of sin. So what does this all mean for us? If Jesus came to seek and save the lost, what does this mean for us? What are we meant to do? Zacchaeus actually models how we're meant to seek after Jesus. And it's this. Do whatever you can to get to Jesus. What did Zacchaeus do? In desperation, he climbed a sycamore fig tree. In the culture of that day, for a man to run or to climb a tree, that was absolutely unheard of. It was as though he was completely out of his mind. Zacchaeus, desperate to meet Jesus, he climbed a tree. He went against the cultural norms. 
How are you seeking after Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus, are you prioritizing your time with him? How are you seeking after Jesus in your everyday life? What metaphorical tree do you need to climb today? A simple practical way to implement seeking after Jesus every day is to set an alarm on your phone every day. Set multiple alarms throughout the day to remind you to stop. To stop, to think about God, to think about a Bible verse, to pray. Have you ever gotten to the end of your day and was just, just like, what just happened? Or you're just about to go to sleep and you remember that you haven't spent any time with God. Get your phone out, set alarms to remind you throughout the day to stop and to seek after Jesus. Let it become a daily reminder that God is in complete control. If you're here with us and you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus, what do you need to do to get to Jesus? Maybe it's just coming to church. Maybe it's joining our life groups. Or maybe it's just reading the Bible. Wherever you land on that spectrum, what do you need to do to seek Jesus? Luke tells us that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save people like you and me. Zacchaeus shows us what a repented life looks like. What is it that you need to surrender to God today? For Zacchaeus, it was his love of money. Money in itself wasn't the issue. It was his love of money that was controlling and damaging his life. And please hear me on this. Making lots of money and, and being well off isn't a sin. But it's when we make money the center of our lives, when it becomes the reason why we're joyful or not, that's when it becomes a sin. Zacchaeus' response to giving half his possessions to the poor and paying back four times the amount, that, that isn't a prescription of what every Christian needs to do. It's actually a description of what a changed life looks like. It's a description of what genuine repentance looks like. It's a turning away from your old ways and turning toward God. John Piper gives us this amazing analogy. Picture 269 people entering eternity in a plane crash in the Sea of Japan. Before the crash, there is a noted politician, a millionaire corporate executive, a playboy and his playmate, a missionary kid on the way back from visiting grandparents. After the crash, they stand before God, utterly stripped of MasterCards, checkbooks, credit lines, how to succeed books, and Hilton reservations. Here are the politician, the executive, the playboy, the missionary kid, all on level ground with nothing. Nothing in their hands, possessing only what they brought in their hearts. Now how absurd and how tragic the lover of money will seem on that day. Like a man who spends his whole life collecting train tickets. And in the end is so weighed down by the collection he misses the last train. What do you need to lay at the feet of Jesus today? Maybe today it's, it's the day you decide to turn away from your sin. Maybe you've sinned and fallen a million times. And maybe you keep falling into that same sin, the same habits. We have to remember that his mercies are new every morning. 
The reality is that we all have things that we need to surrender to our God. Zacchaeus was lost. He was lost morally and spiritually. And it was only when Jesus searched him out, forgave him and set him free that he was found. Zacchaeus surrendered his life to Jesus and it set him free to be who God had intended him to be. What do you need to surrender to God today? What is it that's distracting you from Jesus? Is it the pursuit of money, power, accomplishments, education, family? Maybe you're stuck in guilt. Something went wrong in the past. You messed up, unable to get free and hiding from God. Whatever it is, there is only one person in the universe who can set us free. And that's Jesus. Just like he did with Zacchaeus, Jesus has come to find us, forgive us, set us free. So today, wherever you are at with God, near or far, Jesus is inviting us to surrender our lives and walk with him. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. If you've never made that decision to surrender your life to God, then make that decision today to follow him. Just like he sought out Zacchaeus, he has taken the first step to us by taking our sin and punishment on that cross. The Bible says that we love because he first loved us. Jesus has taken that step toward us. What will you choose today? Let's pray. Let's close our eyes and pray.